Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm very excited about today's show. It's just you and me today. This is our special six-year anniversary podcast episode. Yes, six years ago on this very day, I decided to start this podcast. It's been a crazy ride, and in today's episode, I'll share the why and how I started this show, and I'll also dig into four major lessons that I learned over the last six years doing this show, and they center on these topics, how to grow, and by the way, this stuff doesn't just apply to podcasts, how to succeed by omission, thought leadership, how to get it, how to keep it, and competition. I hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. And for those of you that have been listening from the very beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now for today's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool that is going to be helpful to everybody out there who's ready to start repurposing their existing videos for IGTV, which I know is not necessarily a prescribed thing, but in moderation or even you know holding back and just doing once in a while could be a good thing. Anyways, well, this is- and I would imagine you could take a <laughs> video that you accidentally didn't film in vertical yes. and you could use the same tool, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if you've filmed something on your phone and it's meant to be landscape because it captures the vista the right way or whatever, you know, and you want to still share it in an IGTV episode of some sort, Video Resizer is the app and it's called actually it's called Video Resizer for IGTV and more and it does this one thing well. It will take an existing video that you have on your phone and it will then resize it to fit that 19 by, or sorry, the uh, yeah, six by nine 19. by 16, yeah, nine by 16. Uh, ratio. Yeah. And uh, you, it'll, it'll take that either from a landscape video or even a square video. So say you shot something in square on Instagram already and want to throw it in a, an IGTV story, it can do that as well. And what it'll do is it'll, it'll then give you that blurry kind of top and bottom, um, you know, gradient background from your existing video so that you could even put stuff there if you want to. But uh, yeah, this it's it's basically that one tool that does that one thing and does it well. Uh, talk to me about what you mean about the blurry top and bottom, that part of my understanding. Yeah, well, so uh, you know how <laughs> in, in the, the olden days of TV where you'd watch something that was on a landscape TV and it was shot in not widescreen. Four by and they three. Wanna yeah. fill the full, yeah, they fill the full screen. They don't stretch it. They keep the left and right side of it, and it kind of bleeds into with a, kind of a, a blurred background. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so picture that, but just now vertical video-wise. So your landscape video is there in the center, and then it takes some of the colors from your video at that time and blurs it to the top of the video and the bottom of the video. Okay, uh, so this is an important so, clarification. So what I'm hearing you say is it's not zooming in on the video to make it the full vertical thing. Instead, it's exactly. just cropping in on that one section of it, and then it's it's got a t- uh, it's got essentially bars on the top and bottom that are like great uh, fuzzed out 
stuff on the top and bottom, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. So how does it decide what part to to zoom in on? Do you get to control that? To crop? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, you, you, it's not necessarily cropping. I mean, you can resize it though. You can kind of zoom in if you want to, but it allows you to maintain that sixteen by nine aspect ratio in a nine by sixteen. Ah, I'm understanding what you're saying. So it's taking your whole, it's taking your whole portrait video, if you will, and yes. it's squishing it down to make it really small to fit in that nine by 16 thing. And it's probably, that probably leaves like 60% of the video unusable <laughs> is what I'm hearing you say. And that's right. the part of it where it adds that re- the reflective version of it fuzzed out on the top and the bottom. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yes. And so for those people who are, you know, new, those new people who are saying, well, IGTV is for vertical video only. Mm -hmm. That's where they might start to balk at this and say, well, no, don't start repurposing your old videos that way. But again, if you've got something that's very cool, scenic wise and landscape wise, or like you said earlier, accidentally recorded that way, and you want to use it in a, an IGTV video, this tool then would be for you. Perfect. Where do we get it? Uh, you go to the iOS store and you look up video resizer for IGTV. And is it free? It is free. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. And now I'd like to introduce myself. Here I am. <laughs> Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Well, today's episode is something special because it's just me and it's just you. And it feels a little weird for me to to be doing a solo podcast episode because so many of these episodes that I've done over the years have been interviews. Um, what I'd like to do is start with a little story. I want to share with you how I decided to start this podcast. The very first episode launched on August the 10th, 2012. And in the summer of 2012, I'd started to notice while I was preparing for an online event that a lot of my peers were into podcasting. For example, I noticed that Pat uh, Pat Flynn was all into podcasting. He had started, um, gosh, I would have guessed within a year. I also noticed a number of other people were starting to get into podcasting. So the first thing that I did was I reached out to Cliff Ravenscraft. And Cliff is someone who I had been uh, friends with uh, for a while. I met him at an event and I believe he had started speaking at some of my online events back then. And I said to Cliff, hey, I know you don't do one-on-one coaching anymore, which he didn't do back then, but I would love you to consider hiring, allowing me to hire you. I promise you that I will be one of your best students. So what I did with Cliff is he basically walked me through everything that I needed to know to be able to publish my podcast. Took me a couple of months And on August the 10th, 2012, uh, we went live. And the name of the show is the same name that it is right now. But before I explain how we came up with that name, well, actually, I'll explain that right now. So what happened was I knew that we were going to be launching Social Media Marketing World in 2013. And I thought to myself, I needed a creative way to get in front of my audience because before the podcast, there wasn't, most people didn't know who I was. 
And they knew who Social Media Examiner was because we opened the doors in October of 2009. But they had no idea really who I was unless they happened to be in the know. Or they happened to read one of the few articles that I had published in the early days. But for the most part, prior to the podcast, I was kind of the invisible CEO and founder of Social Media Examiner. So um, I needed to do something different in order to kind of create some buzz for social media marketing world. So I decided to name the podcast Social Media Marketing, and I decided to invite the guests on the podcast who are going to be the same people that were going to be speaking at the inaugural Social Media Marketing World. So you begin to understand kind of what I was doing. It was originally an experiment that I hoped would be bigger than an experiment, but it really was introducing the readers of Social Media Examiner to me and to the guests that would ultimately be speaking at Social Media Marketing World. And it worked. It was a really big success uh, as far as, you know, the first conference. I think we had like 1,100 people there. And a lot of the people that were on the podcast, as a matter of fact, all of them in the early days were actually speakers at Social Media Marketing World. So I began loving podcasting in a pretty substantial way. And because I had already built a pretty big following at Social Media Examiner, the podcast kind of popped right out of the gate. And it was pretty big. And it was kind of exciting. And surprisingly for me, I found something that I would call a true passion. When I was a kid, I used to, me and my brother would go in the basement with a tape recorder and impersonate radio personalities like Wolfman Jack and uh, just make fake radio shows. So kind of there was a side of me that always wanted to be in radio, and this was my opportunity to kind of be in new radio, if you will. So that's the story that led to the start of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. Now, I know that some of you listening right now have been listening literally since day one. And to you, I want to say thank you. And if you're one of the originals... (laughs) Um, Do me a favor, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com and let me know, you know, why you kept listening. Because I know there are probably hundreds of you out of the many thousands that are still listening. Uh, A few statistics. So we have published 314 episodes of this podcast every single week for the last six years. And as of the publication date of this podcast... We have uh, just shy of 15 million downloads on the podcast, which is an overwhelming success as far as I'm concerned. We've remained in the top 100 in the Apple business podcast category, and we're pretty much the same show today that we were when we started, except for a few minor changes. Um, In 2018, we redid our voice and music. Uh, prior to this, we had an American impersonating an Australian, <laughs> and we got a lot of emails from the Aussies saying, uh, what's with the fake Australian? So we actually got a real Australian and we redid our, our voice and music. We also uh, redid our cover art, or I'm hopeful that the cover art will be finalized by the time this podcast actually goes live, uh, and it's simply a cleaner, simpler design. And part of the reason we did that is because we're noticing that in the Apple Podcast app, the cover art is really, really, really small. So we wanted to try to make it readable when it was really small, which means greatly simplifying the cover art. Uh, Some interesting things that we covered back in 2012. 
<laughs> episode two, Twitter marketing. Does it still matter? I mean, I could do an episode on that today. I honestly don't think a lot has changed in the last six years with Twitter. And I think that that's kind of surprising, you know, because look how much has changed with Facebook. Look how much has changed with Instagram. Look how much has changed with LinkedIn. And look at Snapchat, which probably didn't even exist back then. Episode number six was on Google Plus marketing. And we all know that even though that's still around, nobody seems to be talking about that anymore. And episode number nine was called Podcast Renaissance. And I think we can say that, yes, there has been a podcast renaissance in the last six years. But I'm going to wax poetic a little bit and tell you that the areas where podcasting, I think, has experienced the most growth is the area that's hardest to compete in. And it's in the super high production quality shows that are coming from NPR and NPR spinoffs like Gimlet Media. So I think it's getting harder for the small guys to actually um, make it big, if you will, in podcasting. But having said all that, I don't think the small guys need to make it big because you may not have a podcast as large as me, or you may want to start a podcast you don't really need a lot of people listening to that for it to be successful. I mean, just imagine if every week 500 people showed up at a local um, business to listen to you talk or interview someone for 45 minutes every single week. Now imagine if that was a thousand people. I mean, what could you accomplish with that? A lot. So I think what's happening today is, yes, it's far more competitive than it was back when I started. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later today. But I, I do think that we're not in a renaissance for podcasting. I do think that it's been very slow going. And I'm not sure whether this is just going to remain a niche creative outlet or not. But I'm fine with that because it's been really, really important for my business. Okay, for the rest of the podcast today, I'm going to share with you some of the lessons that I've learned in six years of podcasting. And it's my hope that whether you are a podcaster or a marketer or even a business owner, that you will find a lot of insight. There are four topics that I'm going to be chatting about for the rest of today's podcast. Number one is how to grow. Number two is how to succeed by omission. Number three is thought leadership. And number four is competition. All of these these topics come from the lessons that I've learned over six years of podcasting. So let's start with number one, which is how to grow. I am a perfectionist. I'm really good at what I do. I know I'm good at what I do because I perfected it over years. And the fact that I'm a perfectionist and I'm good at what I do is perhaps one of my biggest weaknesses. Can you relate? Are you a perfectionist? Are you good at what you do? Well, let me explain why this is a weakness by telling you a story. In the very beginning, when I started this podcast, I did everything. I recruited every single person I vetted every single person that I wanted on this podcast. I handled all of the scheduling. 
I recorded the actual podcasts. I edited them and edited them and edited them. Then I sent them to my team and they took that and made it into a blog post and scheduled it. The whole process from beginning to end over multiple emails and discussions and stuff was about three to four hours per episode. Doing one of these a week and continuing to do these on a weekly basis, you could see how that was up to 10% of my work day or work life, if you will, if I'm putting in a 40 hour week. Now, of course, if you know me, I put in a lot more than a 40 hour week, but still three to four hours per episode did this for years. It worked for me because I am a perfectionist and I'm good at what I do. And it wasn't until I started to feel the squeeze of all the other things that I had to do with this growing company that I'm running called Social Media Examiner that I finally began to say to myself, as my shoulders even tense thinking about this, maybe, just maybe, there's something about this process that I can give to someone else. Today, I have people who work for me who do really detailed vetting on the guests that we get on this podcast. Uh, It's my assistant, and she spends a lot of time, basically, and I spent a lot of time training her, but she spends a lot of time doing a very detailed analysis on all the people that I'm considering to bring on the show. And she sends me very detailed examples of their speaking and audio and thought leadership and focus. And then she also gives me her gut reaction. And if her gut reaction says it's not a good fit, I don't even read the rest of the email. I say, I agree. And we move along. More recently in 2018, I finally gave up the editing side of the podcast. I actually enjoy editing, believe it or not. I enjoyed working in Adobe Audition. But I found someone that was far better than me, and it was worth the price, so I now give up the editing. So today, it takes me literally 90 minutes to produce the podcast, down from three to four hours. And it involves a 30-minute pre-call where I meet with the guest and get to know them a little bit. So that when we actually do interview, we sound as if we've been buds forever and we negotiate the topics and decide on what we're going to be talking about so that there is no surprise uh, when I do the actual interview. So that's the work that I do, that 30 minute pre-call. And then the actual interview itself is about an hour, you know, uh, getting set up, hitting record and finishing up. Now, the savings of the couple of hours per week, it's been huge for me. I didn't know that it would be. But honestly, I've been more available to my staff to help solve bigger problems that are going on inside the company. I've been able to, you know, be less stressful because I have a little more margin in my life. And the moral of the story or lesson number one is don't try to do it all yourself. You'd be shocked at how good it can still be if you let others handle part of the process. And this is just one example, of course, from the podcast, but there's many examples that I've experienced over the years. So there's three questions I want to ask you. What can you train someone else to do? Rory Vaden, uh, who authored the book Procrastinate on Purpose, which I strongly recommend, says that you should be willing to train someone up to 20 times the amount of time it takes to do the task. 
So if it's a one hour task, be willing to invest 20 hours in training that person. But here's the good news. Once that person is fully trained, you'll begin to see a return on that investment because if it's an hour task per week and you save 52 hours a week and you start thinking about that into the future, it's going to save you hundreds of hours downstream that you can use for something else. So what can you train someone else to do? Number two is, can you be okay with something short of perfection? As I mentioned earlier, my weakness is I am a perfectionist and I'm good at what I do. If I wasn't good, I wouldn't have this problem. I'd be very quick to outsource this. So are you okay with letting something go that you are really good at? And are you willing to accept something short of perfection? Because you have to. Because maybe... Maybe you have a skill that has been refined over a decade or many decades that you know is very, very hard for someone else to to replicate. But maybe you shouldn't be doing that work so that you can be doing the things that you know you need to be doing or that you're called to be doing. First question, what what can you train someone else to do? Second question, can you be okay with something short of perfection? Third question, what can you do with the time that you will gain by delegating this task. Said another way, imagine what you could accomplish if you had an extra few hours per week. Could you start that project you've been putting off that you always wanted to do? Could you go out and start something new that you've wanted to tinker in? Could you spend more time with your staff or with yourself? So the lesson that I've learned is that if you want to grow, don't try to do it all yourself. That's the first lesson. The second theme is how to succeed by omission. What do I mean by the word omission? Omit means to intentionally ignore, remove, not focus on, And in this particular case, I mean intentionally ignoring or not nurturing a sub-segment of your audience. Some people will call this niching down. So one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, who do you really want to reach? Sometimes you don't actually know who you want to reach, but it becomes clear over time. Let me tell you a story about this podcast. For us, for me, in the very beginning of this podcast, the focus really was on marketers and bloggers and podcasters. And we were kind of frankly all over the place because I was not sure who I wanted to reach. In my brain, I thought that bloggers and podcasters were just as important as marketers. But I realized that for the products that we were ultimately selling, which in this case with social media marketing world, it was really the marketers who were most interested in what it is we were doing. And the bloggers and the podcasters, yes, some of them were interested, but most of them actually couldn't even afford to come to the conference because so many of them were hobbyists. And while I always will identify as a podcaster and as a blogger, I knew that the real audience that I needed to focus on was the marketer. And eventually, you know, you do find your tribe. If you don't know who your tribe is, you will find it. And today for us, it is the marketer. 
And in particular, it's the marketer who works for the smaller business, not necessarily the mega corporations. While the stuff that we talk about on this podcast is just as relevant for someone working in a billion dollar company, we don't talk about the types of things that those big brands deal with. Instead, we focus on what the smaller marketers tend to have to deal with. And in our case, over time, the, the way we came to the understanding that the marketer was the core audience that we wanted to reach was we started actually analyzing everything that we were creating. Our podcast episodes, our blog posts, the content that we were sharing on social, dot, dot, dot. And we began to realize that there were certain patterns that were emerging when we looked at the analysis and that the stuff that was purely focused on marketing always outperformed. Even the sessions at Social Media Marketing World that were on marketing had far more people in the room than those that were on blogging and on podcasting. So over time, it became very clear to us that the who that we wanted to serve was not the podcaster and was not the blogger. And in order to succeed, we needed to omit that kind of content from our production schedule so that we could continue to nurture the audience that we wanted to grow. So when you know who it is that you want to serve, then you can make those kinds of content decisions. Now, another thing that we did, and we continue to do to this day, is we survey our audience. We ask them lots of questions. And it's not hard to do, but if you take a look at our annual industry survey, which has been published for the last 10 years, I think, um, you know that data in there also is a lot of data about our audience and who they are. And that helps us when we're producing our content. So there's lots of things that you can do. You don't need to do all the things that we do. But if you are producing content on Instagram or on your blog or on your podcast or on YouTube or on dot, 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 any platform, and you seem like you're all over the place and you focus on stuff that maybe has broad appeal but doesn't necessarily niche you down, that might explain some of the struggles that you have been having. Maybe you need to selectively omit certain audiences from your content creation efforts. Because when you serve your most important audience above all else without compromise, really, really, really good things happen. And I'm sure you've heard this before. It is so true that narrowing your niche improves your business. It actually makes you bigger, even though it doesn't seem like it should. It does because it allows you to compete in a more narrow marketplace and it allows you to be one of the leaders in that marketplace. So here's some things that I've discovered. The bigger you get, the more some of this stuff happens. Your friends reach out every time they have a new book or a new product and they want you to get on your podcast or they want you to talk about them on whatever channel you happen to own. And I think it's really important that you learn to say no when it's not a fit. I have a very simple way of saying this. I congratulate them on their new product. And if they're a really good friend, I might say, well, let's figure out a way to make this work. Like in the case of Michael Hyatt, when he had one of his books out, he came on to specifically talk about the marketing strategy that he used to launch his book. So it was not about the book as much as about the marketing that went into the book. So you can try to find an angle to make it work for your audience, 
But sometimes you just want to say, look, the content we produce over here is about this. And I don't believe that that's a good fit for my audience. Now, that person might be offended and they might tell you that, well, I think it is a good fit, but you need to be the person that makes that decision. You need to be the gatekeeper who decides what and when and how and all that kind of fun stuff about what content you produce. Because here's the honest reality. If you produce, if you allow something to enter into your content stream that has very little interest to your audience, they will tune out. They could unsubscribe. They could stop listening. It's not worth the risk of making a friend feel good at the expense of hurting the downstream of your business. And I think, and I know I've been there. Don't do it. Protect that asset. Omit that kind of content from your directory or your lineup or whatever. So it's going to come from your friends. It's going to come even harder from strangers. Strangers are going to come up to you at events. They're going to pitch you over email blindly, and they're going to do everything in their power to twist your arm so that they can get in front of your audience. And they're going to try to persuade you that you're not focusing on the right things, that you ought to be focusing on this. And let's be clear, you know your audience better than anyone else in the world. So don't ever compromise. Do not ever let someone else tell you that, you know, there's something missing unless they really know your audience. And then in that rare case, perhaps they're right. But for the most part, let's be clear and honest. Most people have ulterior motives and all they care about is getting in front of your audience. So in summary, you will succeed more by omitting certain kinds of content from your lineup. And be very careful about just talking about something just so that you hopefully will rank. I'll share one more story. And I'm still feeling the pain from this story to this very day. I happened to write a blog post about how to get your Facebook page back when Facebook removes it. And I did a whole podcast episode on it. And I talked about everything that we did to get our podcast, I mean, to get our Facebook page back and made it into a really good blog post. But to this day, I'm not kidding, almost once a week, strangers from all over the world send me messages begging me, begging me to help them get their page back. It's not the business that I'm in. I almost regret ever publishing that post because that post now essentially is just drawing people to me that I am not interested in. I don't know who these people are. I'm not in the business of helping people get their Facebook page back. And, you know, I wish I'd never created that post. I really have. And that post was a great example of something that had nothing to do with marketing. It had everything to do with a little story that I experienced, you know? So be careful with that kind of stuff. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, delete the post. I totally could. I probably should. But it's just an example of how to succeed by staying focused. Okay, the third thing that I want to talk about is becoming a recognized thought leader. Here's the honest truth. Experts come and experts go. And it turns out that's a really good thing. And I'll explain why in a minute. But first, what is an expert? According to Mike, 
I think it's someone who has decided to focus on something specifically. For example, bot marketing, Facebook ads, Instagram TV, dot, dot, dot. You get the idea. Then they decide that they're going to be known for this thing. And to be known for this thing, they begin regularly and consistently producing content to demonstrate that they know what they're talking about. And that content could be blog posts, podcasts, videos, courses. You get the idea. A good expert is a good communicator. In my opinion, it's, it's essential because there's lots of great experts out there, but they cannot, if they cannot communicate, they won't ever be given an opportunity on my stages or on my podcasts. So they first must be really good communicator verbally uh, or written if they just want to be known for their writing. And a good expert is also a good teacher. So those two things, good communicator and good teacher. And what does it mean to be a teacher? It means that you understand how to organize your knowledge in such a way that you can articulate it without stumbling a lot and with great focus. So in order for someone to come on my show, they must be a good communicator and they must be a good teacher. Now, here's the reality. Experts come and experts go. Many, many, many fade. You've seen it. I've seen it. Anyone who's been in this industry or any industry for that matter know that there are a lot of people that fade away. And I'm going to tell you the top three reasons why I believe people fade away. Number one, their motives were off. Whatever they wanted that brought them into this desire to become a thought expert, thought leadership, um, was misguided. For example, they just wanted fame. And anyone who has ever had any level of fame, and I speak from experience, um, it's not as fulfilling as you think. You think you want it until you have it. And then when you have it, you realize it doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't help make you feel any better. And that is often why a lot of experts fade because their motives were off. Number two, uh, they couldn't build a business around their expertise. So a lot of people start with a side hustle and they want to be known for something and they start producing all this content, but they cannot figure out how to bridge a business model out of that content production. And what ends up happening is they just cannot continue to do it because of financial reasons. You know, their job is competing with this other thing or they've got to go back to work because they can't figure out how to make a business out of it. The third thing is they actually make it big. And this is the most dangerous problem. And this is the one that makes experts go the most. Let me elaborate. Let's say you or someone you know got a lot of exposure over a period of time and became known as one of the top experts in whatever field. And what often ends up happening is people, when they get to this level of success, they stop doing the things that got them there in the first place. So said another way, what got you here will not get you there. Um, well, actually, what got you here will continue to get you there. I'm sorry. But what happens is you get this sense of, 
all this hard work, I finally made it. Now I can rest. Or now I can just take on a bunch of clients and never have to worry again. And that might be true for a short period of time, six months, maybe a year. But what ends up happening is people, when they don't see that you're regularly producing content, it's that out of sight, out of mind mentality. They forget about you. They stop recommending you. And then eventually when you start needing to get more customers, no one's paying attention anymore because what got you famous in the first place, what got you to be a top expert was the regular, consistent production of content. And when you're in an industry that's constantly changing, like our industry, what ends up happening is if you're not keeping up with those changes, you lose your edge. And you keep talking about things that are maybe not as relevant as they used to be. And people realize you're behind the times. You don't actually know what you're talking about anymore. You've lost your edge. So making it big is actually one of the biggest likelihoods that people will fade away. And I can tell you that I'm in a position to see this a lot because of the speakers that we have at Social Media Marketing World, because of the experts and all the little niches that we focus on. We see it happening all the time. Here's the good news. This represents an enormous opportunity for the next wave of experts in this industry. Because when the top pros, quote unquote, are losing their edge, That means there's opportunity for you or for someone else to come in and take that mantle. And it's very important for you to understand, don't ever think that one person has a lock on any niche. It's never true. As a matter of fact, if they're really, really successful, then you should look at it as an opportunity for you to go in because they'll be distracted focusing on all the opportunities that are presenting themselves and they won't be keeping up with the latest and greatest as the industry evolves and changes. The aspirational expert might be you listening right now, the person who has a deep-seated desire to want to become a thought leader in a certain niche is almost always willing to work harder than the actual top experts. They're willing to do whatever it takes, the aspirational expert. They're willing to say yes to new opportunities. That is what allows the cyclical nature of thought leadership in our industry and in every industry to continue on and on and on. So if you seek to be a recognized thought leader in any industry, here's what you should consider doing. First, allocate time to creating content now and forever. What I mean by that is come up with a plan to spend X hours a week creating content and never let anything encroach on that. This is how you get discovered. Because what ends up happening is people who consume that great content start sharing it publicly or privately. They start putting in a good word for you. They start recommending you to others who are looking for experts in the area that you happen to be an expert in. And over time, you will be successful until you suffer from one of those three early motives, (laughs) problems, that your motives are off, you couldn't build a business, or you actually make it big. Number two, you recognize that you must constantly be learning. Realize that you'll never quote unquote make it. 
and be able to stop. You must always be willing to work for it. So if you're willing to create the content now and forever, and you're willing to consistently learn and always be willing to work for it, no matter how big or famous or successful you get, you can be successful as a thought leader. You can hold that top spot and you can keep that top spot. A couple of other words. Don't get too caught up in the fact that there might be a lot of people there. As a matter of fact, you might even want to collaborate with some of those people because there's plenty of opportunity out there. And I operate from an abundance mentality where I believe that there are so many people in our niche and in the world that are interested in whatever it is that there's more than enough room for lots of experts. So that is my third lesson. This last theme is about competition. And actually, you could rename it why competition is healthy and actually how to embrace it. So many people freak out over the quote-unquote competition. I'll confess, I am very competitive also. But I believe, as I alluded to in the last section, that it's a big world out there. And I've always felt that there are that there's more power in collaboration than just going it solo. And in particular, this is, this is relevant in the content world. So for example, in podcasting or any kind of content creation, the idea of collaboration is really, really popular over on YouTube. But I've been a big believer in collaboration pretty much from the very, very beginning. And I think that there's a lot of danger in going it alone or trying to be your own little island without reaching out and working with others. And in my case, I've become friends with most of the people that I consider my competition. So let me give you an example. In the case of this podcast, I listen to almost every competing podcast with this podcast. And many of the hosts of these podcasts that I think are really excellent I've had them on my podcast. I promoted their podcast. I've told my audience that I listen to their podcast and that they ought to listen to them as well. Knowing full well that some of them are better than me and I'm okay with that. Many of these people have also come and spoken in some capacity at my events and I've become friends with nearly all of them. Now here's the advantage. If I hear someone on another podcast that I want to get on my podcast, I just text the person or Facebook message them and they gladly make an introduction 100% of the time and I get that person on my podcast because they come through a referral and I do the same for them and it's really, really powerful. Let me ask you this question. In the content field, who are some of your competitors? What could you actually do to help them? And don't say to yourself, like, how can I help them so they can help me? How can you actually help them without asking for anything in return? So that you become known as a generous person who wants to help everyone. Because when you become someone who's known for kind of leading in the industry, connecting people together, even if it's all behind the scenes, it's very powerful you might be surprised how working with the competition 
might not actually lead to you thinking of them as competition anymore. Instead, you might think of them as co-opetitions or even partners, which is probably a better way of looking at it because I believe I don't have any competition. I believe that the people I work with were all trying to accomplish the same objective. And there is nobody that does it like you. There's nobody that does it like me. Every business is a little different. And there's, it's a big world out there. And who's to say they can't come to my conference and your conference too? Who's to say they can't buy my product and your product too? The more you begin to realize that we're all kind of in this, trying to accomplish the same objectives, the more successful I believe that you can be. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If there's anything that you missed, don't worry. We take all the notes, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 314. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. Never miss a future episode of this podcast. And if you're a longtime listener and you've never given us a review, I would love it. If you would consider going to socialmediaexaminer.com slash Apple, that should take you to the Apple podcast directory and allow you to actually do the review. And you can also do the same thing uh, slash Stitcher, and that will do the same thing as well. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.